three times before, you have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Friday, the 13th, the final chapter. Jason is back. He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry you changed your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the corkscrew? He simply, mindlessly, <laughs> mercilessly, <laughs> kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Jason's unlucky day. I'm just going to air this on a loop in the beginning of the episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. With some cool like music from Ferris Bueller over it or something. That's always funny. You could just put that that song in anything over anything and oh. it makes it funny. Boo bow bow. Yeah. <laughs> chica chica. Chica chica. that's like the soundtrack of my day that's what i that's what i want yeah. all the time i just want people <laughs> to hear it when i walk in and out of rooms welcome back to reconsinimation i am john diner and i'm dave munchak and i am the accomplice brent hutchins <laughs> and oh, uh, this is your podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And it's that time of year again, guys. It's uh, mm. I feel like I say that so often, but it's it's definitely <laughs> David's... His favorite time of year continues this particular year. Oh, yeah. We, I like uh, it when we get the extra, <laughs> extra yeah. scary movies in. Yeah, we just, we just made it through Shocktober. We just had four great episodes in October, and... Here we are yet again in November, and it's Friday the 13th. David, how, how excited are you? Uh, I'm so excited. I'm very excited here to to uh, complete my uh, ob- my legal obligation to record a Friday the 13th episode. <laughs> let's, uh, let's keep going with that. So here we go. Just, We've we can, got our what, how much time is remaining on our on our our contract for uh, Recon Cinema Studios? We've got what forty nine years, forty nine left. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, so uh, we got a long ways to go, and you're contractually obligated to cover a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yeah. Uh, every time we schedule one. Yeah, is that we can probably bang through this in like twenty minutes, right? Like, you, do you think I can get out of here? <laughs> oh God, no, 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 <laughs> right, Brent? No, no, not at all. Although, although on a forty-nine-year contract, we may run out of original features, so we'll definitely have to uh, look well, for other, you know, other material. 
then we get into Friday the 13th, the animated series. Um, that Because that was a thing. So. Whoa. Really? Yeah. An animated? No. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, what the but hell? There was the they TV needed... series. Then there's the sh- obviously yeah. many, many uh, fan films that, that we could dive into if we needed to. Yeah. So you're not uh, getting out. Of, you're not getting out of this anytime soon, David. That's that's the I, that's the crux of this. You're you're in for right. the long haul, bud. Sounds good. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. Here we go. But I'm excited. I I'm excited to talk about this. We've uh, we're coming off a great string of uh, movies from October. October. We talked about uh, Night of the Creeps. We talked about Monster Squad, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween Three. We got our our fill <laughs> at least for now of Tom Atkins and Fred Decker and. Shane Black, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to segue back to our ongoing look at the Friday the Thirteenth franchise and and the evolution of that uh, of that franchise from its humble beginnings to kind of the uh, I guess the limbo that it's that it's been in for the last couple of years. But um, yeah, uh, so I'm excited to talk about this one in particular. Uh, do you guys? Um, let's start with David. Yeah. Because I know the answer to this. What's your What's your first memories of uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final chapter? <laughs> uh, first memories came like was it like a little more than a year ago uh, uh, at a viewing party? Reconsideration hosted it, right? You You personally put it together, John, and that's that's right. That's I and I think Brent, you were there, and indeed. That was my first viewing, but I was aware of the movie for a very long time. <laughs> uh, it was a nice, it was a nice night in the summer of 2018. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, that, yeah, two years. That ago. was uh, looking forward to the next one. What did we do? We did the Tommy Jarvis trilogy and then some. I think like yeah. Tommy Jarvis plus. Yeah, there was a little late night extra in there. Yeah. <laughs> that was the, fun. For the diehards. For the diehards. Little after dark. And if ever, if ever the time comes where we're allowed to uh, be in the same space again, then uh, we will do that yet again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, okay, so you're new to the film, and David, you've only seen it the one time. Uh, well, saw it then, and saw it, of course, as a, a rewatch for the the show. Yeah. Right. Right. But no, I didn't. I don't have okay. multiple multiple independent viewings. <laughs> Okay, uh, Brent. What about you? What's the? I know you've seen this several times, but what's the? What's the first time it kind of came on your radar? Oh man, um, when it came out, honestly, like I probably I, I I don't recall exactly when I first saw it. It's always I've just I feel like I've seen it hundreds of times, and I remember seeing it. Uh, oh, God, <laughs> as a as a kid, so it's probably. Um, you know, right around when it released on uh, home video, for sure. Because mm-hmm. this wasn't this wasn't a this wasn't a theater gig for me. But um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've seen this one several times over and over again. As one should, as yeah. one should. So yeah. <laughs> um, I remember so as a little kid, and I've talked about this before, wandering through my local video store, Movies One in Peekskill, New York. Uh, I would like my dad was friends with the owner, so he'd go off and I don't know, they would talk or whatever. And I would wander through the store and I always would wander through the horror section because it had the most interesting 
you know, covers and posters and, and VHS, you know, slip covers. And the Friday the 13th movies were always like, <laughs> my eyes seem to always float to those because they had really, I, I always, I still like, love the design of the posters. And this was one that really stuck out because it's his, ma- it was his mask with the knife going through it and through the eye. It's like just his mask on the ground, but the knife through the eye. And I was always fascinated with that. But I, ne- but I didn't actually see the movie. Like, I remember seeing, you know, like we talked about, which you can find in the archives at www.reconcinemation.com. Uh, we covered Friday the 13th 1, Part 2, and Part 3. And I saw all those movies pretty early. But this one, for some reason, I did not see till we were in college. And we had our very famous, uh, you know... <laughs> two-day screening uh, marathon of, uh, of all the Friday the 13th films at uh, the home of one Brent Hutchins. Is that, yeah, yes, the, the marathon of champions. Did you, is that, that was the first time you saw this? <laughs> that was the first time. I mean, I know I had seen like a, pieces of it here and there whenever it was on TV, but that was the first time I like sat down and watched them all in order. And like I like I didn't even know that there was the Tommy Jarvis character and that, that that's the same character in three movies. And um, I, I didn't know that until we uh, we watched that all together. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's going to that's going to poke a hole in a theory that I have. But we'll get to that. Later. OK. All right. <laughs> I'm 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 looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> but this is I mean, I, I just to be honest, I love this movie. Uh, this is a top two. This is a top two Friday the Thirteenth film. What about what about you guys? Oh boy, uh, the, I, watching this the second time, I, I, I was bored to tears. <laughs> this was this was terrible. Like mm. it's fine, but boy, it is it is a nothing movie until the final ten minutes. Like it is complete zero. Like no, the kills aren't interesting. What, so I I can't I couldn't do it. It was way more interesting seeing it the first time with you guys uh second time around i don't get it <laughs> well it's a, i think there's something to be said for you know especially 80s horror films in general like it's better to watch or best watched in a group in yeah. a group of friends for sure um, yeah. you know either in the theater or whatever even a small group yeah. it's it's sort of a communal experience and and it is different watching it just alone even if it's you know daytime late at night whatever It is. You don't get that sense of kind of camaraderie where you're all either laughing at it or making fun of it or scared together. Um, So, yeah, seeing that by yourself again would would lose that for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. If if you didn't catch this as if you didn't catch this in the 80s, then then for sure the best way I agree it would be to watch it with a group. It's always been the most. I mean, that's that's what we did when we watched it in college. You know, we were, it was a whole big, it was all of our Santa Fe loonies together, uh, you know, watching it. And, you know, we were drinking to, we had, I'm trying to remember what we were drinking to. We did a big drinking game. It was like every time you see or Jason kills somebody, you hear the, you know, the theme music or there's sex happening. So basically, like you're drinking the whole movie. Yeah. One way or another. The theme music was a big one. That, that, (laughs) it's like, oh no. It was First so, movie, it's so game over. You, you hear it so often, it, and it's and then it's all the other, all those other cues like when he's hiding in the shadows, the violin like yeah. cue, and I'm like, oh my god, it con- like over and over and over <laughs> and over again. My God, yeah. you're killing me. Oh my God, <laughs> it's just awful. 
Um, well, yeah, they're really they're hammering it home here. I mean, this is the peak. In a lot of ways, this is the peak of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, um, and, and really the peak of nineteen eighty three eighty four is like the peak of the slasher genre, you know, slasher subgenre of horror films. Yeah. Um, in the U.S. anyway, so yeah. Yeah, it, to your point, John, this one, this this movie is an interesting movie. You know, it's billed as uh, the 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 final Friday or whatever, and and um, you know, it, obviously, it ends up not being, but it certainly does give you kind of a conclusion of the of these kind of first four movies, while introducing kind of the themes that you're gonna see for the. Um, the next three movies, right? By introducing the Tommy Jarvis character. So this movie certainly um, works as it's, it's kind of an interesting point in the franchise, right? Because it, it concludes kind of cleanly these, the first four films, right? And like the kind of the, the introduction and evolution of Jason Voorhees. Um, Mm -hmm. This is, you know, what I think it's the final chapter and it's meant to be the conclusion, right? But obviously we know it continued on. And and while it was the conclusion of these four, the first four movies, it also introduced Tommy Jarvis, which begins kind of the the next section of the franchise, like the, the Tommy mm-hmm. Jarvis trilogy, right? And so yeah. it is kind of interesting. And it is an interesting time in just like uh, the slasher genre as a whole with a lot of the the MPAA and, and things that are going on at the time and trying to limit gore in film. And so this mm-hmm. is, this is definitely kind of a last hurrah before there's a change in, in what they try and do moving forward. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, there is uh, the explosion of the slasher genre is en- enormous after, I mean, it starts with Halloween and then, then it, it, goes even further with Friday the 13th. But those first handful of years in the 80s, there was so much content being put out, uh, you know, from a varying levels of quality. Um, you know, there's, uh, by this point, there's actors like Clint Eastwood are in slasher movies and, um, you know, Lauren Bacall's in a slasher movie, which is the fan and with uh, Michael Bean in it. But um you know, there's there's so much. I think it's something in 1983. I think it. I think the statistic was it was about 60 percent of the movies that the U.S. was putting out was horror movies. Like it was just they went so heavy on it because there was so much money in it. But at the same time, it's a complete oversaturation of the market. And you know, Friday the Thirteenth had evolved, and and you know how the whole question was: How long were they going to keep this going? How how far could you go with it? Um, we talked about with Halloween three, how they tried to kind of end the Michael Myers, you know, storyline and, and segue into you know changing what the Halloween franchise was. Um, kind of similar for for Paramount and Friday the Thirteenth. I mean. I've I've heard varying stories too that you know Paramount's always looked at uh, the Friday the Thirteenth franchise as like kind of the 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 shameful son or like they're just they're ashamed to they won't admit that they actually made those movies but I could um, dig that or I at least that. Just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But at the same time, like you talk to certain, you know, you read interviews with certain executives like Frank Mancuso Sr., who was really leading the charge with these that, you know, they cared about the bottom line. And at the end of the, the fiscal year, Friday the 13th was saving Paramount after, you know, several failure, big failures that they had, that this was helping level the playing field financially for them. So they really don't, you know, he would say like, there was nobody embarrassed about it. Maybe there were some executives who hated the the content, but at the, you know, at the end of the day, it's about money and this was making the money. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they were needed. The studios <laughs> needed these slasher films. Uh, they saw the benefit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And they didn't, you know, and Paramount didn't actually technically Paramount didn't produce these films. They, hmm. they distributed them. Right. Uh, they had a hand in certain parts creatively, but really they were, you know, we talked about in, in our first three uh, episodes looking at this franchise that it was produced by really a couple of guys out of Boston. It was financed at least, uh, Phil Scuderi and, and Robert Barsamian, um, who were theater owners who you know, were the ones that hired Sean Cunningham for the first one and, and kept the franchise going. And then they would, and then Paramount would distribute the movies after that. But they were the ones sort of really handling the overall creative of it. Mm. And, and we'll get into how that worked uh, on this one. Um, you know, where, we, where do we leave off with Friday the 13th Part 3? Steve Miner directed that, uh, the Parts 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. And right. um, he was ready to move on. Uh, he wanted to... It's funny because he wanted to move on, but he did stay with... Uh, the horror genre a little longer um, before he did finally break away from that. But uh, yeah, he, he wanted to separate from the franchise and, you know, kind of spread his wings a little bit. Even the producer, Frank Mancuso Jr., um, who was, who had taken over um, as the lead producer for, I believe in part two and three. And uh, he's ready. You know, he felt like his, he's a good producer. He wanted to do other movies. And if he kept doing Friday the 13th, that he was just going to be pigeonholed as the Friday the 13th guy. So, uh, you know, overall, I think they were ready to end the franchise, and thus was the final chapter. Um, all parties seemed to be ready to put an end to everything. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. But we yeah. know, like you said, Brent, we know that uh, that wouldn't be true for too long. So we'll we'll get there by the end. Absolutely. Uh, we, I wouldn't mind if we just put it to bed ourselves. We just this is it. This is our last Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> oh, episode. No. In the spirit of things, you know, the final chapter, we could do that. We, I mean, we could do whatever we want. <laughs> David, I want to hear exactly <laughs> as we get through here, like what, um, what, and why uh, you dislike uh, this so so much. Okay. <laughs> so no, as we as we talk about, he's it, ready. Because <laughs> and go. <laughs> It's fine. Um, it's fine. Yeah. I'm just, spoiler alert. I enjoyed 3D way more than this one. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> no. Okay. So, but All right. w- All right. why? I'm just curious because a lot of people really love three, and I'm one of the people that that actually doesn't gravitate to three that much. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm curious to hear what uh, what what do you like more about three than you do with part four here? Part four takes itself way too seriously throughout, and it's 
Uh, and I feel like it's uninspired. I feel <laughs> I don't know. I I don't think the I don't think it's it's that interesting. I think it's really boring. Like it's just really boring the whole time until like the the climax. Hmm. Like isn't it I, isn't I just, it boring? Yeah. Isn't it, it it is though. Like, no, I I have a, I, mean, I have a complete opposite opinion. It's not thrilling. It's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would I would I would argue that it's kind of more well crafted, but you know like uh, it is. I I don't even know if I really feel like it's that slow. I mean, certainly it takes probably a handful of minutes more time uh, at the beginning for Jason to really step in and starts mm-hmm. killing yeah. people. But it it's, does. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not like, I don't know. There's a lot of good, like kind of character uh, acting going on and, and development uh-huh. that I feel like fills that time pretty well. And it doesn't really feel like it takes too long for Jason to get going, but it, it does. It is a little bit longer than normal. Um, yeah. You know, but, but I don't know. I feel like and that was done intentionally. That yeah. was done intentionally, which we'll, we'll get to in a sec. But yeah, finish your thought, Brent. Well, I just think I think for me, like the acting in this one um, and the kind of the character development that they do at the front end of it is kind of more um, more in depth. You know, like more developed than than it is in most of the others. So yeah, I don't know. For me, like I, I actually this this plays kind of just as a much uh, overall more well-crafted um, attempt at, at the, at a Friday the 13th movie. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I like Trish. I like, I like what everything we've, everything we do. You better like Trish. Trish is fantastic. <laughs> you better like Trish. Oh yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> um, your main characters are, are pretty, I think are serviced pretty well or served pretty well or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But then once he starts killing, like these kills aren't even that interesting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a couple of them are cool. I'm, but I, I think well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I will. I, I will speak. At, so a little bit to that. Like so the the kills in this I will say were a little less creative. Not not that they weren't well executed, but they were a, right. a little less um, whimsical and creative uh, as they had been. Certainly been established in part three. And ultimately, where they end up going beyond this movie, uh, this takes it back down a notch into like kind of a more gore-centric, uh, less uh, playful, and and kind of just a kind of a, I guess a crueler uh, killer approach than than uh, what had been seen in part three. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of the effects are good well, though. I'm, like the the effects of the kills were were well done. I thought. I mean, you could see a total evolution from absolutely. one yeah, yeah, through yeah. four. I like, mean, that's yeah. They're they're well done. Well, well part, of, part of that is Savini coming back, right? Which I'm sure you're just exactly. about to jump yeah. into, John. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can is, feel it. I can well, feel it on the tip of your tongue, man. I, I can. Let's. Hear it. Uh, I, I actually want to walk through later on. I want to walk through the deaths, and we'll talk about Tom Savini there because him returning to the franchise is a big is a big win for them. Yeah, but, well, and that's you know, that's just, part of that's a part of that whole like final chapter gimmick, right? Like he exactly jumped, he yeah. jumped back in because he did the first one and he wanted to kind of wrap it up and do the the last one. Right. And right. so it was it was kind of a uh, cool. it was a coup. It was a, it was kind of a win to get him to join back in because 
well, absolutely he, the he... execution of the of the kills is great like the effects mm -hmm. the practical effects mm -hmm. at least yeah, well, Savini made Jason, so he felt like it was on him to kill Jason. So nice. that that was what that was the reason he came back to this movie because he, again, another person who wanted to end it and move on um, was was uh, Tom Savini. But we'll we'll come back to the uh, practical effects because I do want to talk about those more specifically. But going back to just the story points um, and the characters, so a lot of that you know the director here is Joseph Zito who uh, had done a movie in, in either 1980 or 81 called The Prowler, uh, also working with Tom Savini there. And, uh, you know, the, the, they, the producers liked the way that movie turned out and figured he would be a good addition as a director to this franchise. Uh, so he comes in and kind of co-writes the script with uh, a writer named Barney Cohen, who had been doing after-school specials. And... That was the reason that Joseph Zito went after him at, to get him as the writer because he wanted, he really wanted to boost the characters up and make these characters likable. And, you know, because he felt like in two and three, and I don't disagree with him, that the characters are kind of flat and there's really not much to identify with. You just, you know, they're just teens who are in line to get killed. And he wanted to try to give the audience something more and thus he wouldn't have to make the kills that like insane because you're going to feel bad if you like that character whether they get you know brutally murdered or just you know stabbed like you're going to feel just as bad so um, that was kind of the thought process behind that. Hmm. I think maybe for some of us, some of us that that came across David doesn't sound like uh, that jived with you right? Um, I mean, that makes sense. So I, I'm i down with that as a, you know, at the attempt of doing that. Sure. Yeah. Like, don't make it so yeah, don't I make mean, the kills over the top because it doesn't it doesn't jive with the characterization and kind of the, the time we've already spent with these people. So I get that. Right. Uh, and really, you okay. know, this is like this is what pre this is pre John Hughes but in a way they are kind of going for a little bit of a uh John Hughes vibe a rat pack um, you know, I think that was the goal was to just get identifiable teens yeah. with um you know common problems and teen issues the mm. brat the brat pack approach yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. well and i guess maybe more maybe the John Hughes maybe that's not the best one maybe it's more like american graffiti kind of teens yeah, right. St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah, yeah, but that was after this, wasn't it? Was or it? same year, maybe. Maybe St. Elmo's Fire. I feel like was like '86. Yeah. But uh, Is that right? but yeah, that's all. That's all still floating around the same time period. Mm -hmm. Um. So and then Barney Cohen also kind of add the the story element that he really added was the family, and uh, uh, that was another thing was introducing a family and having a brother and sister and the mother character uh, be sort of your main characters would would get you a little more invested in these people um, than just your straightforward teens. So uh, I I do I really don't have a huge problem with most of these characters. I mean, some are a little more flat than others but you know you've got uh you know you've got jimmy and ted who are have this 
you know, back and forth that apparently was improv between the two of them. They just kind of came up with it on the set because they were friends. And yeah, they, um, they had kind of a shorthand together because they were buddies. Right. So exactly. Ah. Yeah. Although I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say I find Teddy to probably be the most kind of obnoxious of the characters in the movie. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> yeah. But but their banter back and forth for the time works really well. But like rewatching it now, I'm like, man, Teddy is immature as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, his character really doesn't age well now. No, you know, doesn't. looking back at it from 2020, um, that character is very problematic. But uh, I think here's the thing, though. So let's talk about the cast. Um, Lawrence Monison, who was the star of a of a canon film, David, that we talked about in our canon films episode, uh, mm. which you can find in the archives at www.reconsideration.com. Uh, called the last uh, last American Virgin. Mm, right. Yes. Yes. Right. So he's the star of that movie. It comes out. I I want to say it was eighty one or eighty two. So a couple of years before this, mm-hmm. and um, felt like his career was right on. You know, he's the star of a, a pretty you know decent sized movie uh, that does well, and then nothing. Then like it, the the train just stopped. Mm-hmm. So. You know, he's sort of desperate for anything, really. His, you know, he was on a hot streak that just ended, and <clears throat> now he's ice cold, and and uh, he's trying to get his career back on track. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, the, the, the whole casting process, um, you know, they were never really going for teen, eight, teen stars that were, that were already stars. Like, they were going for up-and-comers, unknown names yeah. um, that hopefully had some talent. So, you know, this was an opportunity to keep your name back in, in the spotlight, kind of like Kevin Bacon with the first film, right? Because he had done Animal House, yep. mm-hmm. and then his career stopped. So, again, it was another way to get your foot in the door. Well, everybody wants to work, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Bren, have you seen La- Last American Virgin? Oh, man. Um, I think I saw it on TV as a kid, but not, I haven't, yeah. I don't remember it. That's another one. I think we should, uh, we should cover that one, but I have a feeling that is going to be another oh. Oh, no. problematic eighties movie yeah, for sure. It's like, let's do Porky's. <laughs> Wait, what? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of those are revenge of the nerds. It's like, yeah, that's not, I'm not. Oh, yep. That. Oh no! <laughs> well, and that's that's part of what we do on our, on the show here is we we look back at uh, the movies we grew up with and yeah, and some of them are tough, you know. And and it's you're talking about John Hughes. I mean, I have a deep love for John Hughes, but um, there are very problematic things in most of his movies. Yeah. Um, probably what like planes, trains, and automobiles, which we covered last year, was probably one of the few that don't have that much problem and maybe home alone too that are, are kind of safe but um you know all the molly ringwald stuff yeah, is, there's, there's a lot candles, going on I'm just there like there's a lot yeah there's definitely i mean they're you know they're classics and we're not here to talk about john hughes movies but they you're you're right they definitely are problematic elements to those films that just do not stand up mm-hmm. to today's uh sensibilities yeah but um you know cir- circling back to our casting here 
all of these actors, you know, they're, they're reading the script and they're seeing the, the nudity and the violence and, uh, you know, it's that price that, that do they want to do this movie? Are they willing to do the, the nudity? Are they willing to, um, you know, shoot these violent death scenes and, uh, you know, they had varying degrees. You know, Barbara Howard, who was cast as Sarah, you know, got it worked into her agreement that she'd, for the shower scene, that she would have a body double. Yeah. And whereas <laughs> Judy Aronson didn't have that. So, like, oh. some are, feel sort of forced into doing it and some, you know, found their way out of it. Um, Lawrence Monison, even though you see his butt for a second when they go skinny dipping, um, you know, now says he would never, never do that. You know, they, they, they almost got suckered into it, it feels like, but um, mm. or felt like they couldn't say no because they needed the job. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're on you're there on the day and it's sort of like you've heard these stories before, like on these on these things where it's like, yeah, well, we kind of need you to do this. Like we're, cha- we're changing the scene and we're everyone's yeah. waiting well, for you. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it was pretty brutal in certain instances, like on the set. So, you know, like not only not only were people kind of. <clears throat> being asked to do things that they weren't necessarily comfortable with. They were also uh, then made to do things that, you know, were potentially harmful or worse, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's this, uh, the behind the scenes stuff on this one was, was, it sounds pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, Joe Zito, there are varying stories about, about, him as a director and as a you know uh, how compassionate or or lack thereof that he had uh, for for his actors he was you know a lot of them talked about during the audition process he was very passionate very involved with them um, really like saw something and they he had like a warm kind of energy but by the time they got to shooting something had changed and he he was really focused on the effects which is normal for for that to happen um, and really focused on, uh, you know, almost perfectionist, like just, sh- you know, take after take after take and, and very difficult shooting situations and not a lot of acting coaching. Mm. So, you know, he's hung up on a lot of the technical stuff, but not working with the actors on their characters. And you'll hear this throughout, you know, especially going forward in the Friday the 13th movies that, uh, you know, so much focus was on the other stuff than acting. So, you know these actors get a bad reputation as as a as not so great actors but they really aren't given the opportunity to be better you know they're doing one take and that's it and they know it's bad but they don't have an opportunity to like do another take um so and that's probably uh, you know goes across the horror genre in general probably i'm I'm making an assumption there but um that you know the, the 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 effects element is so there's so much to that that you know the the focus shifts over to that side of things didn't we say something to that effect or you had you had mentioned that to some on some of the other horror movies we've done or something that you know the the these films that that suffer because the the or the the acting suffers because of these the technical aspect i forget what was the last movie we we did that we talked about that uh I feel like that was something that's well, come up before in our reviews. It, it's come up on Friday the 13th, two and three. Um, I probably even in the first one, uh, <laughs> Halloween so, two, I'm sure we, you know, so there's um, a glaring problem with all these films. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, because again, like the use of practical effects, like there is so much that goes into that. So it, it yeah. does make sense that focus would shift to that. Uh, it's unfortunate that the directors of that, at least of that era, like couldn't shift back to the actors or do one more take. You know, and some of it was like you, you couldn't because of the, the blood and the gore, like you couldn't really do another take. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think David, it just was what it was. I think, David, you're referencing. We did talk specifically about that for uh, Friday 13th 3 because the uh, the 3D effects. Were, oh, yeah, there was yeah. so much pressure on getting the 3D effects done that, that the director mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of time to spend with the actors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but it happens a lot. Not just, not just in these movies. I mean, it happens oh, yeah. even today still. Yeah, probably today. I feel like it happens less today um i think maybe just the style of directing has evolved to where they can well and there's, there's bigger, more people to help yeah exactly you know, the there's, crews bigger, are bigger. there's bigger crews there's 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 specific jobs on a crew now that are meant mm-hmm. to uh work with the actors you know in de- mm-hmm. you know in in great detail so uh so yeah it happens less but you know independent movies and things like that you can still see it pop up it's just, you're right it's not yeah. as frequently um, c- turning back to the rest of the cast, though, we've got Peter Barton, who plays Doug, and he was similar to Lawrence Monison. He had uh, been the lead of, a, I think, an NBC show called The Powers of Matthew Starr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his, his, and he was a model, very up and coming, and then that show was canceled, and he has nothing. So, uh, again, another actor who's a familiar face from the early 80s who feels like he has to take this movie because... And he's got to get his career back up and running again. And coincidentally, he is convinced to do the movie or partially convinced to do the movie by Amy Steele, who was the lead in Friday the 13th Part 2. She was his co-star on The Powers of Matthew Starr and heard he was up for it and kind of talked to him about the pluses and minuses of doing a Friday the 13th movie. But overall... um, you know, once the show was canceled, he really, he felt like he had to do it. So, yeah. uh, but he, he's another one who talked about um, not really getting a lot of acting help and um, his own uncomfortability uh, doing that shower scene that he was, um, you know, didn't want to do it, especially with uh, Barbara Howard, not really doing the other half of that scene with him mm-hmm. that suddenly he's in there with a, um, a body double <laughs> and doing this love scenes <laughs> and Joe Zito just barking at him like, like turn her here, like push her butt up against the, the shower door. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. So not, not, you know, he doesn't really seem to hold a grudge against Joe Zito, but it was um, yeah. just not like the most pleasant experience. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Yeah. yeah. It's very awkward. Yeah. For sure. But all that, um, even 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 that being the case, like I still feel like the performances that were given by the actors are, are still in the in the, you know, world of the franchise. Like, I feel like this is some of the stronger performances uh, from. Absolutely. From, the yeah. group. you know, like, I yeah. mean, typically yeah. there's within each one of the movies, there's like, you know, there's strong performances and then there's some weak performances, whereas I feel like just overall as a as a as a company like they did really really well 
together. Like, and there wasn't really one performance in this particular film that I that for me played poorly. Like, they all just kind of mm-hmm. worked pretty well together. Yeah, I I agree with you. I totally like. I think this is. Probably, I, I want to say this is the the best acting performances in the whole franchise. Um, I think they do. You've got a number of actors who either, you know, you had seen before this or you would continue to see after this. And we're, we're going to get to those bigger names in a second. Uh, yeah. But David, what, what do you think in the context of the Friday films? Mm-hmm. How is how are how do you feel about the acting performances in the final chapter? Oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, everyone's good. I yeah uh definitely a step up for for sure i i feel like there was a lot of time taken with um more characters and um you know letting the audience kind of uh spend time with them so um yeah i don't know i I feel like everyone's very effective sure these are these are professionals i feel like with these characters too like you really don't know anything about the characters from part three. Let's just go back to that one sure, for a second. Yeah. Like all those teens who come to the, you know, to the, to the cabin there, um, other than our lead actress, you don't know really anything about those people. Mm-hmm. There's not really any particular reason to like them. Whereas here, you know, you get to spend a little bit of time with these characters or at least get more of a feeling out of them. So I think the actors are doing a, a good job of conveying, um, you know, that these are people. They're not just, they're not just (laughs) teens lined up, lined up to get killed. Yeah. Right. Um, we've also got, uh, Carrie and Camilla Moore playing to the twins, Terry and Tina, Mm uh, who I think were kind of a, a late casting. Uh, I think the idea was in there early of having twins, but, uh, they weren't chosen till later on. But they're uh, they're Doublemint twins. Do you guys do you guys remember them for any of, from any of the Doublemint commercials? Were they on the tandem bike? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Were they? They were the. I'm, just, yeah. I'm, just, that, I'm randomly throwing that out there because I figured I had. A, a <laughs> I feel like there's shot. always a tandem bike. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's uh, often you know pre-coronavirus. That's how we got around the lot. Yeah, just all yeah, tandem bikes. Cinema studio. Always on tandem bike. Um, Absolutely. I. Th- John, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of one of the sisters here, she was actually auditioning for another one of the parts, right? And and they right. found out that she had a twin, and they were like, "Oh, well, we're gonna cast you both in this part instead." Yeah, Camilla Moore, who plays Tina, was which is the one with uh, Crispin Glover. Um, was auditioning for Sam- the Samantha role, right? And when they looked at her reel, they're like, "Oh." wait, you're one of the Doublemint twins. Like, let's recast you over here. And her sister, Carrie, like, really wasn't even, like, an actress. I mean, she had acted before, but really that wasn't, like, her... I think she's a photographer, so... She just knew knew how to ride a tandem bike. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) Who doesn't? Yeah, Um, If if you're a twin, you better know how to ride a tandem bike. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It comes with the... It's in the rule book. It's a requirement. Yeah. Um, we've got Judy Aronson playing Samantha and uh, this was her first film uh, but we would go on to see her in uh, American Ninja mm-hmm. yeah, coming back. back to uh, a canon film mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, 
Weird Science, isn't she in Weird Science? She, she is. is. She's yeah, one of the, right. the, the the one of the the, the girls that interests. were that were love interests. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, and and I I remember her face from uh, like I think feel like she was in a lot of TV stuff throughout the like late eighties into the early nineties. But mm-hmm. um, I always liked her. I always thought I always thought she was. Um, I thought she was a good actress for the movies that she was in. Yeah, yeah, she yeah she's is, really good. I like her. Yeah, she was in Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero as well. So mm. that's probably where that's probably the first thing I remember her from. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, we've got uh, Eric Anderson who plays Rob. Um, I met Eric Anderson a number of years ago on my first show out here, and we discussed Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, and super nice guy, uh, but this was also probably, I think, his first uh, major film. Yeah. Uh, he and Rob, so he plays he plays Rob, who is the character searching for his sister. Right. That's the correct. And so I guess it, it, I don't know if we said it or not, but the timeline of this movie, it's like. Two, three, and four all happen basically in consecutive days, right? So yeah, the, there's a major like I, I know goof I, in the timeline. <laughs> yeah, in that tent scene where he's like pulling out, pulling out all sorts of different uh, news articles and stuff like that. You know, I mean, yeah, it makes it so- seem like he's been hunting this, this. Uh, uh, he's been hunting Jason for for a long time, but it's literally yeah. been two days that his sister yeah it's it's it it, it's implied that it's like a minimum of weeks or probably months that he's been hunting jason but you're right uh the first film is the first film is five years prior to this and then two three and four are all consecutive so they're really within like two or three days all three of those movies happen yeah um so for some reason, and it's probably uh, honestly just a lack of familiarity with the prior movies. I think um, right. not that much thought went into it. I know like they watched them, but I, I don't think they really like watched them maybe more than once or twice. Yeah. Well, and, and unless so. you're, and, and honestly, unless you're, I, I don't think people get, I don't, I don't think people really get caught up on it. It's not, it's not so egregious no. that you're like, Oh, what? <laughs> no. that's a, what happened? Like, unless you really think about it, because even as a viewer, like, I don't think your expectation is that this is three consecutive days unless you actually right. sit down and you're trying to sift through the plot. Right. Which I don't think too many people are really doing too often. And so you don't really catch it. But if when you do, it's it's it is a big hole. Or a big not a big hole, but a big a big goof. Well, yeah, and the movies, that's the thing, is each movie really looks and feels totally different, and Jason has a different look uh, in, in every movie for the most part. So yeah. it really, I don't think it really probably even dawned on too many people, except the most hardcore fans, that that doesn't line up. I mean, yeah. you know, by this point, this is now two years after that Friday the 13th 2 had come out, so who's really going to remember? And it doesn't affect it at all. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's just fun. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, okay, so now we've got some of our bigger actors. We've got uh, Crispin Glover uh, as Jimmy, who is sort of like your 
this is the most, <laughs> I would say, probably the most down-to-earth character that um, Crispin Glover's played. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know. So he certainly, uh, in, in the kitchen scene, when he's looking for the corkscrew, I mean, it is 100% George, George McFly, without a doubt. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like, that's George McFly looking for a corkscrew. Right oh now. yeah, it's and it and I can't even not see that when I when I watch it. It's it's pretty funny. He's still and it's uh it's go ahead, David. He's still kind of a weirdo though. Like the, as the most down to earth character, he's played. The, he, the guy is still comes off like a little bit of a a weird. Oh guy. yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Crispin Crispin Glover is a you know, I mean, he's a very kind of um, unique person just in general. You know, yeah. like he. He certainly uh, doesn't adhere to social norms and things like that. He kind of does his own thing, which is, you know, also part of what's endearing about him. But in when he tries to play the kind of the the straight guy character, you know, like it still kind of shines through a little bit that that he is kind of a, a person who uh, kind of dances to the beat of their own drum. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's. Um he's quirky and he's an oddball and he's at his best when he's embracing that. And this is just, I think one of the few roles where, yeah, he did, you know, it's not on the page for him to be that odd of a character, but that just his mannerisms and the way the inflection of his voice. And can we please talk about his dance scene? (laughs) (laughs) There's no way we're getting through this podcast without talking about the dance scene. It's, oh my god, so much fun. Like that is <laughs> that scene just brings joy to my heart. It, it's like it is it is probably it has to be one of the most bizarre moments in the Friday the 13th franchise o- overall. I mean, it's so out of nowhere. Like it's crazy. It's it's a beautiful thing. I'm watching it right now just so you know. Like I, I can't <laughs> not put it on. It's too classic. And they didn't know, like, they all are laughing at him because he just did that. You know, they, they, you know, it's written that he puts an album on and then he dances with, I think it's with Terry. Um, and, you know, but he went into this gyration, spasmy kind of, I, I don't know if you call that really dancing, but uh, it's, it's one of my, I think that and Prom Night are my favorite dance numbers at least in horror movies i'll have to go back and watch the prom night one because i'm prom night's a really it's a silly one with jamie lee curtis it's it's just it's fun but it like prom night that dance scene reminds me of the the dance number in airplane except (laughs) they're kind of serious like there's spinning shots and everything like it's really great that's fun uh, but yeah, it's um, that is a, a sight to behold. Crispin Glover doing that dance number for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm gonna learn it, and, and we should we yeah, should definitely please. we should definitely try to do it together at some point. Like we should at our maybe choreographed. You know, number. what would be great, David, at Recon Cinema Studios at our our studio lot Christmas party, which <laughs> will now be a physically distanced Christmas party. Um, <laughs> I, I think a Christmas gift to everybody on the lot would be you performing that. Okay, yeah, I could do that. I think that everyone. You think you can instead of the Christmas I think, bonus, we'll I'll give them a dance number. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, keep that, you know, $1,000 bonus. We just want the dance number. I think Halloween 2021, we just need to dress up as the cast of Friday 13th 4. And, I'm uh, fine with that. We'll round it out with a couple interns so that we have enough people to cover the cast. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. we, can, we can make that happen. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think Crispin Glover is... Um, I. I really like him in this movie. I think, uh, you know, because he's probably a character you spend more time with than the other teens. Um, so you, I, I felt like you could kind of identify with him. And, you know, he just wants to be good. at. He just wants to, you know, be a good sexual partner. That's all he wants. <laughs> I yeah. think for me, I like Crispin Glover, but I can't watch this movie. I mean, without thinking of the the rest of his body of work. And, you know, I like Crispin Glover as an actor in other things. And so when I see him in this, knowing more about him, you know, like as a kid, when I saw this, I probably didn't give too much thought to his character. But now when I see it and I know where he ended up and what else he ended up doing, you know, I just can't help but but kind of uh, it adds enjoyment to my viewing of this now when when I, I think about those things. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and because what was next? Was River's Edge next or was it Back to the Future? I Probably River's Edge came out before that. Uh, I, Back to the Future was later this year, the filming was, but I don't know, I don't know where River's Edge landed. Yeah. Uh, River's Edge came out the year after Back to the Future, so... And then what what happened after that? Because I know, like, I remember he went on Letterman and had some kind of very either inappropriate or awkward interview. And Letterman said he could never come back on the show. And then he didn't come back for the other Back to the Future movies and disappeared. Like, I don't remember him in anything until Charlie's Angels. Yeah. He just kind of disappeared until Charlie's Angels. And then... Yeah. Hot tub time machine, which was a hot tub time machine that he's in. Did he do uh, hot tub? Yes, and Willard. Uh-huh. He's in Willard, and I yeah, yeah. Willard. Yeah, Willard. He, well, he pops up here and there, but um, yeah. the nineties. Um, he just he just skipped over the nineties. Yeah, it's all right. He didn't. I don't well, think he's, <laughs> on, he's on that American Gods show, which I think is a is that an Apple show. What is that? Is that a HBO show? Stars, uh, Showtime. I don't know. S- stars is maybe yeah. maybe a Quibi show. Could it's be. A, not a Quibi is it a Quibi? <laughs> it's not a Quibi. It's not a Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Quibi. Not a Quibi. Okay. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, and then we've it's got gonna, uh, Quibi's going to become a punchline, guys, for a, a lot of these things. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. you got Quibied. Oh, I love it. Let's make it happen. Um. We've got our uh, probably our biggest star coming out of this movie is uh, Corey Feldman. Have we talked? We've talked about Corey Feldman a little bit on this show, haven't we, David? We did because we covered Gremlins. That's uh, correct. And Corey Feldman is in Gremlins. And, and we have uh, we have a lot more Corey in our future. With what we got to do, the Burbs. We got to do Lost Boys. License do, to Drive. Um, license to Drive. Yeah, License to Drive. Maybe Goonies. Yeah. So Goonies, Corey Goonies, will be back. Goonies is tough. Goonies has been covered by just about everybody, but it would be fun. I know. It would be fun to do a Goonies just because, you know, that movie's a lot of it's fun. It's funny. Da- 
David and I were talking last night about movies that we're never going to cover on this show because uh, it's just, you know, which was a, a problem with our, our Rocky episode that we just loved it too much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, certain movies like The Godfather, you know, very personal for me. Like, I'm probably not going to want to cover that or Chinatown because yeah. they're just amazing and great. We should take a poll and see um, how many how many how many listeners want to hear Joe versus the volcano. Because I'm, I'm pushing for it. I'm I'm up for that movie. I'm definitely up for that. Sure. Movie. All right. Well, we got to put it in the got to put it in the, in the in the docket. There's a lot. So of- what I have here here's so the science behind how I select movies for this show is is you know like the lot the tumblers for like lotteries and you know the lotto numbers in yeah. the in the eighties the ball hopper or early nineties the ball hopper like a bingo yeah. like it's a bingo exact- ball hopper. Yep. So they're like ping pong balls. And I just write on the outside. I just, you know, write names of the movies and I put them in and whatever comes up. That's what we're doing. Oh, that's, that's how you come up with this. That's how you that's how I come up with it. Yeah. Wow. That's, amazing. that's my secret. That's the secret sauce. <laughs> well, there you go. Let's load it up with some Joe versus the volcano. Let's, okay. I want to add a couple extra um, ping pongs with that in it. Let's yeah. So get it. <laughs> Let's rig it. Uh, but. Coming back to Corey. So uh, Corey at this point is, I think he's mostly doing commercials. I know he'd done a voice in, uh, I think, The Fox and the Hound. Hound. Yep. Um, But yeah, he hadn't really uh, been introduced. This was, I think, the first, um, his first, at least big film that he was uh, introduced in. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Because, I mean, he, like right after this, he just had a slew of movies. but, But this is certainly kind of the first one. Um, one of the first ones that that kind of yeah put his his face out there in in earnest, right? And so I think also this is where I want to get into my my theory. I think because of Corey Feldman, because this is this for me is one of my favorite Friday the Thirteenth movies, and I think part of the reason of that uh, the reason that is is because of Corey Feldman and the fact that this is the only one. At, up to this point where there was a kid in the m- movie that was around the same age as myself when I was viewing it or, or give or take, right? Like just someone I could relate mm-hmm. to. And so like, right. because I can relate to him as a character in this movie and he's kind of, you know, like obviously he likes movies and, and uh, special effects and things as we see in his room and he's making all these masks. Like I just kind of like, Oh, I connect with this guy. And so, because of that, I think that's why I like this movie as much as I do, as or as, as a big part of why I like, like this movie as much as I do. And so my theory was, well, I wonder if that's just specific to me or if it's specific to others, because I thought that you had also seen this uh, when you were younger. And so I was just thinking, well, I wonder if it's just because, like, as a kid who likes movies, there's a kid in it who likes movies, he's easy to connect with, and, you know, like that to me from a psychological standpoint made a lot of sense but since you didn't see it till college totally pokes a hole in that no but i think you're right though i mean i i think there are a lot of people who probably did identify the same way you did uh so i i back up your theory it just didn't it didn't apply to me personally but it uh i'm sure it did for lots of people though yeah yeah i would i mean i I would think so because the critics kind of like 
crapped all over it, right? Like the, I mean, it oh was, yeah, like Siskel they did and, with Sis, all of them. Siskel and Ebert were like, "This is garbage," and you know, but yep. when I talk to people who are from the '80s who saw this movie in the '80s that are fans of, you know, the horror genre, like this one always stands out as one of one of the top, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my John, that's you, my theory. You connected more, John, with the the teens in the movie, the uh, the Crispin Glover kind of role, probably. Yeah, you know, yeah. You just wanted to be that. Perfect, I was more of. I was partner. more of the Rob. You're, I was more of the Rob. That, that was kind of me yeah. in general. <laughs> John was Teddy. Just was Teddy. He was like, I, was, I totally I was, connect with Teddy. <laughs> um, but Corey, uh, let's go back to Corey though. Uh, yeah, he unfortunately, you know, was already in the the. Or I guess the beginning of his his personal problems, um, which you know the rest of the cast kind of tried to take care of him. You know his parents were I think were divorced and the mother wasn't really around and there was lots of problems at home and and his grandfather was his caretaker or his guardian uh, during this film and didn't want him hanging out with the kids and was being really strict and trying to enforce all these rules at the same time. Like you have all these you know, all the, the rest of the cast who's like having, you know, personally with each other, having a great time. I mean, there's challenges with making the movie, but, um, you know, all having a good time with each other. And um, Eric Anderson and uh, Kimberly Beck, who we're going to talk about in a second, uh, kind of took him under their wing. And, you know, his grandfather, Corey's grandfather, like wasn't even taking him to go trick or treating, which when, when they were filming this, because they filmed it around Halloween. And uh, so they just took him out in one of the local neighborhoods where, where they were shooting and, um, you know, just tried to, like, give him some happiness. He was mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, he had to become an adult a lot earlier than he than he should have. Um, and that led to all of his problems later on um, that didn't really, you know, manifest publicly till probably the 90s. Right. When that everything started to kind of implode for Corey. Yeah, I right. think so. His personal life was, yeah, becoming a, uh, the attention was being put on his, the issues with the, his mm-hmm. addictions and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that even during this point in his career, he was already kind of having those difficulties, mm-hmm. like as a, a showbiz kid. Yeah, I mean, he was, and so was Corey Haim. We talked a little bit about it on our Silver Bullet episode from yeah. from last Shocktober mm-hmm. of 2019. But, um, you know, both of them uh, obviously befriended each other just after this, but lots of personal problems at home. And, and Corey, these days, um, has his documentary, right, where he gets even more uh specific about what was really going on for him as a child and the abuse that was happening with by you know uh, producers and and other actors and it was just it was an awful time personally while at the same time he's got this five-year period that's this um, you know great body of work and lots of hit movies and lots of success yeah, I was just looking at it. After this was Gremlins, then Goonies, then Stand By Me, like all just like right after the next, and it was yeah. Like, then Lost Boys, fun. License to Drive, <laughs> like yeah, Lost Boys, Burbs, yeah, Burbs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the latter half of the eighties was was awesome what's for a, him. What's that? What's the documentary? The Corey Feldman documentary? 
I don't, you know, I don't know the name of it, but he, yeah, just follow his Twitter and he likes to write in all caps and, um, if you're not yelling, you're not talking, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, he's, he, uh, is pushing that, um, as, as much as he can now. Yeah. But, uh, but back, back to this, he's, uh, his character's so like lovable. He's such he's a cute kid. And he's modeled after, or his character is an homage to, uh, to Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Jarvis is, you know, this kid who's into effects and special effects, and he makes masks. And you know, uh, one of the, <laughs> one of the early concepts for the movie of the way he was going to kill Jason was he was <laughs> going to he, take apart a microwave and then microwave Jason, like attach parts to his head and microwave his head. And that was going to be how Jason died. Blow his, Whoa. Blow his head up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. But um, so you get, you know, a, a kid as your lead character and um, one you can identify with a good actor um, you know, probably doesn't have the greatest dialogue here, but I think he does the the most that he can with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He good. He's good. His 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 performance is. I like it. It's great. I think. Yeah, I buy it. Yeah. David doesn't buy it, but I buy I it. I didn't say that. David's I buy it. <laughs> this whole movie, I don't buy the movie. Uh, <laughs> but no, he's fine in it. He's good. Yeah, like the the characters they do uh, focus on. Uh, I think work really well. Him and Trish. and uh, Yeah. Now let's talk yeah. about Trish. Yeah. So Trish Jarvis, the older sister of, uh, of Tommy, is portrayed by the, the great Kimberly Beck, a dear longtime personal friend of mine <laughs> um, who uh, it's been great to catch up recently with uh, about this movie. But, um, yeah, so I think she's uh, one of the... For some reason, you know, no, they don't. People don't really talk about. I, I think she did a good job in this movie. I think I, I've always liked the Trish character. Yeah. I think her performance is good. Uh, for some reason, you know, she doesn't really get talked about when when you look back at the um, leading ladies of the Friday franchise. Hmm. Uh, I, it seems to be like Amy Steele gets a lot of the attention. I think because partially in. You know, you know, as the last girls go, um, you know, in this movie, she, she's not the sole survivor, right? Like she's, she's, uh, it's right. her, she's a co-survivor. Yeah. She's a co-survivor. And so, um, you know, like in the pantheon of last girls, like she does get kind of lost because she's not exactly, she doesn't exactly fit the mold that, that the others, um, mm-hmm. before her did. Well, and you're sharing, you know, she's sharing screen time with Corey and, um, yeah, I guess mostly with Corey. So it's yeah. sort of, maybe you're right. Maybe that's it because it's divided. Um, and it's not, she's, she's not the lead, like where all the other ones, it's like the, the, the female is the lead. Like you, you've got it split between the two of them. Right. And, and as we just talked about, like after this movie, like Corey goes on to become a huge, huge megastar in the, in the, you know, mid and late eighties. So it's, you know, I mean, I think, I think just in general, um, everybody probably got overshadowed because, you know, Corey Feldman just became a phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, And it's unfortunate for some of, some of these other actors, but um, yeah, Corey, it's like when you, when you look back at this, it's like, Oh, this is the one with 
Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're the ones people talk about. But but I think Kimberly did a good job. I yeah. you know I I bought it. I think you know she wasn't. Um, you know, she was doing what the character required. I think she's another one of the actors that wished, uh, you know, would have had more direction, more work with the director and, uh, you know, possibly could have had, you know, a better performance. But that was what she had. I mean, half the movie she spent just running around with a knife, you know, or, or running yeah. away from Jason. So yeah. um, how much can you do? Yeah. yeah. But she does great. I mean, that whole family dynamic that they have, you know, between her and her mom and Tommy, I think is actually really well done. Like, I think, I think that's a uh, a good element to to this film that that works really well. You know, she's a mm-hmm. huge part of that. Well, I think they're also they're all likable. Like, they just I, I don't know. I, I just like those characters. Just yeah. you know, the sense of them. So. Um. And then, of course, let's get to Jason himself. So Ted White is cast as Jason. Uh, and I think he's uh, Ted White was John Wayne's stunt double for like 40 years or something. And he's a big time cowboy. And apparently he would like lasso people in the parking lot. And, you know, when he wasn't rolling and, um, you know, he wasn't someone that was going to be pushed around yeah. by by Joe Zito and kind of explains, uh, stood his ground on a few things. <laughs> yeah, it kind of explains a lot of some of the stuff that I've heard with some of the, I, I don't want to say cruel, but some of the kind of like harder scenes, uh, you know, like uh, the Samantha character out in the boat, you know, that was done mm-hmm. on a freezing night, you know, and like the water was cold. She was submerged in water. She was getting hyperthermia. Like she literally did get hyperthermia, was sick for several days afterwards. And, um, you know, the director, uh, Josito, was just, you know, with all the pressure of trying to get everything done and the complication of that shot, um, you know, was just kind of trying to push through. And, and, you know, Ted, Ted, is Ted White? Yeah, Uh, Ted White. You know, like he was the one that stood up and was like, look, man, like we got to get her out of the water because you know, she's, she could get seriously hurt. And he basically told, uh, Josito, like, if you don't pull her out of the water now, like I'm, I'm out, like I'm leaving, like, I'm not going to do yeah. this, which I find a little ironic that the guy who's playing the killer is also the one trying to save people behind the scenes. But save yeah, people. you know, like it also shows that chivalry, you know, like he's got that, you know, it makes a lot of sense, old cowboy mentality, yeah. you know, to, <laughs> to be the one that stands up and, and says that stuff, you know? In my, in my folklorish ex- expectations for for what cowboys stand up for. <laughs> well, it's more. I mean, it's got to be more that he's a stunt man. Like he understands safety better than anybody, especially yeah, like, yeah, exactly. This. And then right. and then she's this like hundred pound girl naked in the woods and in the water. And when they sh- like rewatching that, I'm like. I feel like it's super freezing there and I couldn't, and I just like, she goes right into the water and, it's and it was, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, was, so yeah, I mean like the, the, the silly things that directors uh, think actors will endure just to get their shot, you know, like sometimes like logic and rationality shines through with other people and they'd be like, yeah, we're not doing this. Like this is ridiculous. So yeah, uh, I good, good props to Ted white on that one. Jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they shot that in Topanga Canyon and all night long. And it's, you know, the whole thought was like, you want to see the lake and you want to see everything instead of doing it in a tank where you could control the environment better and just, you know, add the smoke to, to layer it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like you were saying, like Judy was in the water all night and freezing and I think at times had a wetsuit, a partial <laughs> wetsuit on, but that didn't really help. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you watch that scene, you can't see the lake. Like, you can't see the woods. All you see is her and a raft in the water. Yeah. So, in hindsight, like, they should have done it in the tank. And yeah, then I mean, you wouldn't have had the safety issues. She was in the water for hours, right? And the scene yeah. ends up getting cut down to, like, I mean, it's seconds. So... You know, yeah. I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool effect and it's a cool scene, but, but, uh, you know, there's not a, they don't linger on it for very long. Right. Right. And, you know, uh, like Ted White had a lot of issues with, with the way Joe Zito, I, they just clashed. Um, yeah. you know, they had conflicts a few times and then at the end of the day he had his name taken off the movie and, I think, uh, you know, felt the wrath of uh, Frank Mancuso at that point <laughs> um, after that. But I think he's one of the best, uh, you know, to me, it's it's him and Kane Hodder as as Jason. Like, those are the best, yeah. uh, you know, performers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he does a great job with uh, as the as the Jason Voorhees. Character. He's just got the right size and his body language, the way he walks, the way he yeah. moves. Um, yeah. And a lot of it was just, that's just how he moved. But um, when he explodes through the door, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a great shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's snappier. Uh, you know what I mean? Like his movements are a little yeah. snappier, but you're right. His build and his body type is like great. Like it's very ominous, uh, but he's, yeah. he's got some, some, um, Agility, you know, which is something that, you know, like kind of comes in and out of the of the Voorhees character. But in, in mm-hmm. this in this instance, I think worked really well. Yeah. And, and the this shape of these, you know, this character is really important, just like it was with Michael Myers. And we talked about that as as, uh, you know, different performers played those characters. It really does change how intimidating you know it, when you look at friday the 13th part two like that jason is like nothing compared to to this one like right. this one is so much more intimidating yeah it's true i feel i did feel a little bit i guess toward the climax i felt way more threatened by jason you know he was i was engaged a lot with with his uh terrorizing <laughs> just the the force and mm-hmm. size of him was just like like especially like when he gets them when he it's just them him versus trish and uh and Corey or uh i can't remember his name uh tommy and then uh you know it's i, I don't know that was a pretty great kind of 10 minutes of the, of the film yeah yeah um yep i agree with that yep uh, so you know, we talked about Tom Savini co- coming back to the franchise, and uh, again, that was so important to make this uh, believable. And and the practical effects in this movie are are top notch. I mean, Tom Savini is like one of the the kings of practical uh, special effects, and especially in horror movies. But he does do other things. Um, so it was it was amazing to get him back. 
right, I want to walk through. Oh. I want to walk through some of these deaths. So I did a death count, yeah. and if you include the dog, <laughs> I, which was unfortunate, <laughs> doggy suicide. Um, I count fifteen deaths in this movie, which is probably one of the higher death counts uh, for a Friday film. That's, yeah, that's a lot of people. So what do we got? We got Axel and so, the nurse, right? Yeah, we start. The movie starts with like right off the bat. Here's one thing, just separately, that I really like about this movie. That in the first shot, you can see the production value is much greater. You know, you have this nice wide, you know, crane shot coming in to right where we left off in part three, the barn and Jason's body. And but you've got a helicopter, and if you got a helicopter in a movie, you got some kind of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we uh, we we you guys mentioned how the movie starts slowly, and they did want to pace it out before Jason makes his triumphant return. Uh, that you know you you get the tone of the movie and and uh, a, a slow build up to his return. But we see, you know, Axel and the other nurse in the hospital. Uh, Axel's like a total asshole. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> Confirmed. He's just such a sleaze, dude. Like, he's just everything yeah, about him. He really him, is. Everything about him just feels very gross. Yeah. The um, And Ted White had a hard time playing. You know, he just really didn't feel comfortable in, in the morgue. Um, it just felt very awkward and, uh, I think that was harder for him to do, but, but what a great, I mean, great Tom Savini, uh, special effect on Axel's brutal death. Um, this is one of my favorites of the movie. Uh, how did he go? So, you know, you get your standard, um, you know, he's a more, he's, a. What do you? What am I blanking on the word? The guy who works in the morgue. The um, a mortician. Mortician. A yeah. Cor- a coroner. Uh, coroner. Coroner. The, that's the better word. Coroner. So Axel's the coroner at the hospital, the local hospital, where all the bodies are coming in, and he's, you know, trying to kind of force himself on this nurse who, you know, eventually goes along with him and but it's like that thing that starts happening in the Friday the 13th movies which which will come in future movies that sex will wake will awaken the beast and and Jason and and uh that's what starts happening here and you see Jason like I think you see can see like a puff of air come out of his uh, you know come from his mouth and then you see his hand drops and he starts to wake up and um as soon as the nurse leaves like he's up and what he's got like a saw that he yeah. like cranks into his neck and then spins his head around oh. 180 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty brutal. Pretty good. First kill. <laughs> yeah. It is a good first kill. Yeah. It's like, Oh, Jason's back and this is going to be a brutal movie. And, uh, but the effect is, looks great. I think, you know, it's a combination of, um, you know, the actor who's Bruce Mahler, who we all recognize from Police Academy. Love him. Um, yeah. Wearing his costume backwards and then with a partial torso on him for certain shots. And, 
you know, some is is a total fake torso where the head's actually twisting. But um, yeah, it was it was if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff, it's really cool to see how they did that effect. Oh, cool. Uh, then Jason goes after the nurse, and um, I think this one got cut a little bit, but uh, you know, he does the the standard horror villain uh, move where he picks up someone against the wall and you stab him, but it looks like he kind of like carves her out a little bit. Yeah. 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 Aw. Yeah. We've got the, uh, the, the hitchhiker on the side of the road who gets stabbed uh, through the back of the neck. And that was with the banana. Like that was gross. That, that, that one actually grossed me out more than anything. Why, just because she, she crushed the banana or. Yeah. Like, like the a, banana and it's coming out of her mouth and mouth yeah. Full of banana. Just... Yeah. 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 I wasn't a fan no of No more bananas. <laughs> All right, so that's three. Um, that's three. Right? We're at three That's right three, now? yes. All right, counting the dog, uh, it's and then four. We've got, counting the dog, it's four. Well, no, the dog's later, though, so we'll okay. connect the dog. Okay. So that's, okay, so that's three. And then we've got, um, we talked about uh, Judy Aronson as Samantha on the boat. Um, yeah. You know, she... She the next kid. So they're having, all the teenagers are having their little little dynamics going on at the party and her boyfriend sort of starts separating with one of the twins. So she kind of stomps out to the lake and just decides to skinny dip again um, and get in the boat. And uh, yeah, so she gets stabbed from underneath the boat. Somehow Jason's in the water, right? Right. We don't know how, like he's just waiting there, I guess. (laughs) Um, I guess if he waited like 30 years or whatever, uh, however many years as a kid underwater that he could probably hang for a few minutes. I mean, but now. that's, I mean, come on, who goes swimming in a lake by themselves at night without a partner? <laughs> like she's setting her, right. she's setting I mean, herself gonna... up for her own demise. Like that's happening. Totally, yeah. That's happening if there's Jason or no Jason, like you, you've now <laughs> set yourself up for, for, uh, problems. Yeah. She just gets in a dirty uh, rubber she, boat. It's like filthy. Yeah, it's naked. Naked. Like, yeah. ugh, God. Like, why go And, and the funny thing to me was, the funny thing was, like, she immediately expects that her boyfriend is also out there. Yeah. Like, why? Like, he's right. flirting with the other girl. There's no re- Like, he wouldn't have left. She was uh, hoping oh. her tactics uh, would bring him about, and it didn't work. No. Yeah. He, she was in for a great disappointment that night. Yeah. yeah, obviously. Well, she sure was. Yeah, obviously she had been drinking. That's this flawed thinking. <laughs> yeah, another reason you shouldn't uh, be so, out on the water by yourself. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Safety first. Um, she stabbed under from underneath the boat, very similar to your Kevin Bacon death, um, and then another one in part two, and and then three, I guess, as well. Uh, yeah, they like to go back. And then her boyfriend, her boyfriend comes out finally. Um, realizes he he's just a total jerk to his girlfriend, mm-hmm. goes out after her, and That's has pro- another one of the most violent deaths in the movie. So he also swims out, sees the her in the boat, or you know, uh, just sees her floating there in the boat, <laughs> and thinks that he's like quietly creeping up to her, splash, <laughs> sees splash. her body, panics splashes, you know, uh, swims back to shore. And right when he gets to shore, 
there's Jason waiting with what, like a harpoon gun? Yeah. Yeah. To the crotch, right? To the crotch. Yeah. yeah. And then the worst part, he lifts him out of the water. The worst part is he pulls the trigger and fires it like into him vertically. What a totally dick. like I I almost can't watch that. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. It's <laughs> brutal. So that's five right there. Um You've got, uh, you know, then the rest of the teens are all partying, separating. You know, that's when they start, seg- you know, separating themselves, which is, which is always one of the, like, you don't want to do that. Stay together as a group and yep. maybe you'll survive, but they never do. So uh, <laughs> one of our teens, or our, our twins, uh, Terry, who, you know, is, uh, there's a lot of uh, sexual pressure going on in the <laughs> inside the party and she doesn't want any part of it she steps out and we only see in silhouette through the lightning uh of jason skewering her from behind that's right no but then but then he slams her body against the house like with the thing in her back so you see right her, yeah. right you end up true. seeing yeah. her body yeah. but the not the actual that. murder yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 um and then we see the mother, the mother character who is, you know, returned from somewhere. I forget where she went, but uh, so, you know, we didn't say it, but uh, the the so the Jarvis family lives up at the lake and, you know, full time like our residents there. There's a house that's right next door, which is the teens are renting for the weekend. And that's how they're all kind of in each other's world. Nice. Um, little Airbnb. But. Yeah, like an Airbnb, an early Airbnb thing. Uh, the mother comes back, and we, she's killed off screen. Is she one of the only characters in the franchise that we you don't, don't see yeah. how she dies at all? Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I can't. I, I couldn't tell you for sure uh, for the whole franchise, but I, uh, up to this point, I think she's the only one that we don't see get killed on screen and and joe zito felt like it was it made more of an impact of not seeing her death that it's left up to your imagination which is an interesting choice yeah yeah it's intentional i right? mean like they intentionally yeah don't yeah. show it i wonder if they shot and that's an interesting do they ever shoot it well or no? Like, they shot there is an alternate ending where you see her body um it's sort of your a dream, sort of like a dream sequence, like in the first uh, couple movies, mm-hmm. um, where Trish wakes up in the hospital, and you know after she finds her mom like upstairs in a bathtub, and Jason comes up behind her. She turns to look at Jason, and then the mother, the mother pops out of the bathtub and grabs her, oh, and she's got these white eyes. Oh my god! Um, like zombie eyes. You know what? I take oh. it back. In the third movie. I forget the character's name. He's the funny guy with the mask. We don't actually see Jason... Shelly? Slit Shelly's throat. We just see the aftermath, right? Right. I think that's correct, yeah. I mean, but we see him uh, at yeah. the moment of peril. We just don't actually see the kill. And then right. and then he comes out with the mask, and then Shelly shows up in the kitchen uh, right. busting through with his, with his throat slit. Yeah, I yeah. I think if... Uh, Anyway, just yeah, but we don't we don't even see the mother's body like we don't no, like that's just it. Gone. We just she's just done. <clears throat> we see her react that we assume obviously it's she encounters Jason and uh, and that's it. 
unless yeah. you've seen that that alternate ending like you don't nobody knows what happens to the mother so right. um so she's gone boom that's uh seven right there uh the and then then jason enters the house with the rest of the teens and then he's just knocking them off one after another yeah so Barbara, i doug <laughs> ted jimmy yeah jimmy the other um, twin the crispin glover the crispin glover death is also one of my favorite ones <laughs> like oh. you know ted where's the corkscrew like great dialogue there yeah like just the way he delivers it George <laughs> yeah and then he gets the uh, corkscrew uh, given back to him right through the hand and then a cl- immediately cleaver to the face. Yeah. Yeah. Which they shot in reverse. Um, and apparently, like, he had a really fun time doing do, working that out with Tom Savini. Oh, oh cool. Um, so we lose Crispin Glover. We, uh, we lose the other twin, uh, Tina, when she's... Um, thrown or pulled through the roof of, or not the roof, the window on the second story and chucked down onto this car. Onto the the station wagon. Savage. Yeah. That that stunt looked like it hurt too, because it it had to. Yeah. I, the, the, the stunt person did not land squarely on the car. They landed on like the outer, part of the car the frame. Right, right where the frame yeah. would be like not much give yeah that didn't look that didn't look like it was a comfortable um execution yeah there's a couple of launchings there's actually three launchings from the second floor of this house mm-hmm. there's you know this one which yeah that looked like a like a very painful landing for the stunt person yeah um you, you get the dog right. and then you get uh when Trish, uh, you know, yeah. does she, I can't remember. Did she jump out the window or is she thrown through the window? She jumps. But the stunt person, like, does this great slide between the, you know, the the railing of that, um, the railing on the second story. She slides right through that, lands, and then, like, the wood from the railing almost hits her right in the face when she lands. Like, uh, well, yeah. Tough Tough shoot for the stunt stunt yeah, ladies. It's not, yeah. a, not an easy shoot. <laughs> um, uh, we lose Ted is uh, stabbed through the back of the head through the while watching you know whatever silent silent era pornography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this scene annoys me with Ted more than any other scene in the movie. I think. When yeah. He, when he goes it's, up, when Ted he goes is up annoying. to try and try and make out with the, the movie screen, I'm like, dude, come on. What is going on? Yeah. This is ridiculous. Like, what drug are you supposed to be on? Because that's, that's, I don't think that's a thing. But Well, he's so annoying um, just, like, laughing at it for, like, five straight minutes. Like, yeah. So well, and he's, like, hilariously laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's talking to a teddy bear, and it's just like, oh, my God. All right, Jason. Like, geez, calm down, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, this guy needs, needs to get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the another great, great special effect and death scene. Probably one of the top ones in the franchise is uh, is Doug's death in the shower upstairs. His so face crushed into the wall. Oh my yeah. god! That's yeah, good. and and he talked about the like the pretty face of Peter Barton that they're just gonna <laughs> yeah, crush it. Just, yeah. <laughs> like, well, and there. like and and 
when they shot it, you know, Ted White was like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta push you pretty hard into the, into the wall. So are, are you ready for that? Yeah. Uh, so he, he tried to be as, you know, kind as he could, but it's brutal. I mean, he shoves his head, then like digs his hand like yeah. into his face and, yeah. uh, and then just crushes it. It's brutal and hard to watch. I guess, yeah, I guess Jason's not a, uh, Dean Martin fan because I think he's singing a Dean Martin song right before that happens. Yeah, Tangerine. Tangerine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, then um, Sarah, you know, who who sees Doug's body, panics, runs downstairs, and somehow Jason. I love the way Jason can travel. It, it's like there's either multiple Jasons. Or he's he's like Nightcrawler, like he can beam like Nightcrawler yeah. from X Men. <laughs> he's secretly um, Hussein Bolt. He just like can yeah. he's faster than everybody. <clears throat> Suddenly he's outside downstairs and just throws the axe like through the door and gets and that's it for Sarah. Yeah, it's funny if you look at that door in that scene where they're running up. It's like an old style cartoon where you know where the trap door is going to be because it's a different color than the, than the rest <laughs> of the, the plate around it. So go mm-hmm. back and go back and watch that scene as she's running up to the door. The, 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 the area where the ax comes through is like a different, they've, they've obviously put like a, a yeah, breakaway, a breakaway spot there. Yeah. And it's a different color than the, than the rest of the door. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's funny. That's, you know, that's one of those things with like the the wonderfulness of Blu-ray and, and really clear digi- digital yeah. images. Like sometimes it, maybe some of these older movies weren't meant to have that because yeah. now you're seeing some of the, uh, the magic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we get uh, the uh, Trish and, and Tommy Jarvis return and they get Rob and and they're kind of they're trying to figure out what's where the mother is and what's going on with the the neighbors and um rob's death is uh another interesting (laughs) choice yeah so he rob's so again rob's down in the basement jason's down there with him but doesn't attack him until he tries to leave and then he like he goes up the stairs breaks the the one of the steps drops his machete goes back down to get the machete and that's when Jason pops out and decides to get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and then I love Rob's death. It's, or I love, I love that scene because there's at one point where Rob is down in the basement and everybody's running around and you hear him yelling, he's killing me. He's stabbing <laughs> me. He's like exposition death. I'm just like, Oh, this is hilarious. It's very um, yeah yeah. He said it a few times. He's killing me like immediately when he starts getting yeah. hit. Like it's crazy. Like he's yeah. Uh, yikes! <laughs> it's like which which comes across silly, you know. It, it comes across silly and awkward. Kind of yeah. the intention for most or a number of these deaths, the shower death and Rob's death, <clears throat> was that. You know, these people know they're about to die. They have that moment of recognition that and almost like coming to terms with it by the looks on their face. Like they're they're not going to live they're They don't have a chance against Jason. And it's whether they accept it or not. That's kind of like what they were going for. I, I don't think that really came across, like especially with Rob's. It's just like, why would you say that? Like, why would you say that when someone's 
killing you. And yeah. apparently they, there was a an incident in New York uh, that Zito took that from where someone, I think it was either in the, not the subway, but they were like on a street uh, and late at night who got, was getting stabbed and was saying that like, stop, stop stabbing me, stop killing me. And they're like screaming it and no one is helping and no one's calling 911 or anything. Oh, wow, so really? yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems uh, like he's I've trying to warn things like that. I'm oh, sorry. It seems like he's trying to warn Trish, like he's killing me. Like, I'm not going to, you know, it's, it is sort of a warning to her, I guess. Yeah. But that's no, it. No, you're right. It's, it's just, it's, it's just kind of funny during, it's just awkward, during yeah. the, the course of the, of the scene to hear it. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then we've got, uh, the dog death, which is done, you know, not really a, in a disturbing way. If, if you can say right. that, um, does the dog like <clears throat> jump out of the window to get away from Jason, or do you think he threw it? I feel like he Good. definitely like threw the dog like through the window. Like that's what I think that's what you're supposed to believe, but I don't know. Yeah, I I guess it is. For some reason, I always read it as like the dog, you know, was trying to save itself and <laughs> jumped like, out the window. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the way the dog moves is like they're they definitely like trained him to to, to jump forward through the window. So it right. does it does right. sort of right. look intentional on the dog's part. But I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah. If you if you go strictly by the visual, like yeah, it looks like he's committing suicide to get <laughs> away. But I uh, I, I have a feeling it's supposed to be like Jason did this. <laughs> <laughs> Poor doggy. Um, but. Uh... Yeah, and then that comes to then that all leads to our fifteenth and our our big the big death of the movie. This is what the whole movie's about: the death of Jason Voorhees. Mm. There it is, fifteen. Um, yeah, another great Tom Savini effect. I mean, the 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 you know mechanical effect of this of this gag is is really pretty awesome. Yeah. with this, you know, he's. Tommy slices him in the head, right, with the with the machete, and he falls down to the ground on it, and then it sort of like carves and slices the top of his head off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you know this was w- one thing that needed trimming uh, from the MPAA, but um, uh, they did this many times and with different levels of gore and blood. Uh, but the 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 knife is like on a track. You know that on this, you know, obviously custom made and designed head, um, but it's brutal. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's super pretty brutal. But it seems pretty definitive until yeah his hand moves again. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it seems right. like this should <laughs> yeah. have killed him. It's not as definitive as if he hooked up a microwave and blew up his head. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so, and then, and then, yeah, the hand twitches and then Tommy Jarvis hacks him to death and goes crazy. And what do we think about this ending? Uh, Brent, what do you think in general about the, the change in the Tommy character, how he, um, you know, does the psychological trick with Jason and shaves his head and, um, you know, gets inside Jason's mind a little bit so he can lure him in until uh, he can kill him. I think it's pretty clever. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but I don't mind it. Like, it works for me. 
because they established that the kid is into like special effects and things like that earlier in the movie um i like that he's thinking of some way of transforming himself to to kind of make the gag work and then just mm-hmm. the brutality of like obviously this little guy is snapped and he is i mean it is like ruthless the hacking that he gives jason at the end once the hand does twitch that uh you know obviously there's going to be problems for this kid (laughs) the rest of his life because of having gone through this thing yeah Yeah. a lot of psychological trauma here for for any of the survivors but for him in particular being a kid yeah yeah which comes across, I mean, you know, I think especially in the last shot of the movie where, you know, you see him and Trish hugging and they do, they zoom in on his eyes and he, he's got crazy eyes, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's snapped at that point. Yeah. It's, uh, it, uh, David, what do you think uh, about the ending? I think that's, I think it's, uh, it's probably sounds better on the page than it, and it, than it comes across. But, I mean, I guess it works. Like, yeah, I mean... I think that just kind of, kind of sucks that like they survive, but they're he's still more of a victim, and you know, the implied th- the trauma that he's going to have for the rest of his life. Like, oh Jesus! Like, if they were not to make any more movies, like that's uh that's a pretty like gross way to 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 give him a send off at the end there. Yeah, it's pretty dark, so, right? It's de- yeah, it's, it's just depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. like while he's hacking away, even Trish is like, like in in awe of what's happening like oh my god like you know he's he's over the he's over the edge here like you know she knows what's happening um and what could be happening to him so yeah that's the thing trish and that's probably why trish doesn't get a lot of plays like one of the final girls because like she doesn't even deliver the killing blow or anything right like she's right like if if she had an interesting i mean even if tommy still did the same thing at the end if she gave that like killing blow i mean she'd probably they'd probably talk about her more just in the fandom but i think like because she because she's very heroic throughout like she she just like the rest of the the final girls as they say she's heroic she's running around she's fending him off like she's she's doing like everything she can to protect him um and get away so it kind of stinks that she doesn't get like she doesn't get to actually beat jason at the end yeah, you know, but it's it's a it's a twist on the whole thing. So whatever, it works for me. I don't care. <laughs> but you know, it works. So overall, you know, to me, this is like the model Friday the Thirteenth movie. Um, this is like, to me, this is like the perfect Friday film. And it, it's, I, I go back and forth whether this or the first one is my favorite, but. Uh, you know, you've got all your your kind of standard Friday things, but I feel like they're they're uh, they're you know they achieve their greatest success in this particular installment. Um, where do you guys think it ranks in amongst the Friday films? Um, Should I? I've seen. I'll just start because then you guys. The, can, let's you, just you say experts yeah, can uh, can weigh of in. the first four. Oh, the first four. Um, yeah. Uh, entertainment value wise, um, probably second or third for me. Yeah. 
Because I think you're you like three, right? Yeah, I think three's tops. So still, <laughs> and then you know the rest. I mean, I didn't really like two all that much. So yeah, it's probably it's probably I probably like it more than two. So yeah, it'd be three, four, one, and two. That's that's my ranking. There you go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Brent, what about you? Now, Brent, you've obviously seen them all. So what do you think for, for all of them? Where, where does this one rank? I mean, yeah, it, it's interchangeable with the first one probably. But I, th- I consider the first one just a different – like I, I I like the first one for different reasons, you know? Like uh, mm-hmm. as a Friday the 13th movie – like I'm thinking of those more as where the franchise ended up. And I always, you know, I think the first one is a good movie. It's, it's entertaining. And, um, I, I like it quite a bit, but like it's different than the, uh, Jason Voorhees movie. Right. So, but mm-hmm. one and one and four for me are kind of interchangeable at the top. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and then kind of everything else goes from there. But I, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to rank them all right now because I feel like then we're no. going to do this. We're going to do this every time we we do oh, one yeah. of these movies. Like, and then I got to yeah. I got to I got to save it. I got to save it for the end because I feel like I'm going to contradict. I know every time I every time I give a list. I know what one you're going to rank uh, very high when we get to it, and it's coming up uh, yeah, probably like, in a few years. Yeah, but. yeah, <laughs> I, absolutely. Like, you know you know what my third one is, and, yeah. uh, uh, you know, but for different reasons and, you know, whatever. But that's the whole beauty of, of these movies. Like them for different mm-hmm. reasons. So the movie – so they finished filming the movie – and uh, it's scheduled to come out October in October of '84. They finished filming in January. Uh, Frank Mancuso Sr. decides to uh, that there's an opening and there's a Friday the 13th in April, and uh, he's going to pull up the release date by six months, Whoa. which is very rarely done. Yeah, so is. it was a race to finish this movie, and they took. Joe, Joe Zito and Frank Mancuso Jr., the producer and the editors, and they've got additional editors, and they rented a house uh, like in Malibu and moved them all there and said, we'll deliver food night and day. You guys work around the clock until you're done with this movie. Wow. And uh, and they made it. But, um, yeah, that's a, they br- did, you that's know, a this brutal is- switch, man. Brutal. Yeah. That is six months pulling a movie up. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. But they really wanted to, you know, they really wanted to maximize, especially with, you know, really the mentality was that this was going to be the end. This was going to be the last film. And uh, they really wanted to maximize the dollar for this and get it out as quickly as possible to before, you know, they all saw that the slasher genre starting to go downhill. Um, it's just an oversaturation of the market and, um you know, they were getting worse, progressively worse. So make the most while the audience is still there and end it. And um, the this is the last of the Friday the 13th that really got away with these brutal murders um, and showing it. Uh, going forward, the MPAA, uh, I guess there was a big reaction after Silent Night, Deadly Night came out later in 84. Yeah. Um, there was a big reaction from parents and... 
uh, after that, things changed, and the MPA was much harder on horror films in general, and especially the Friday films, because they were like the Friday films were like the poster child, so they became the target, uh, and you know they they made lots of cuts on the later movies, which we'll get into when we cover those. But so this is like the last of the sort of the glory days of Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and so some people do consider it like this is really the last like true Jason movie because everything after that sort of goes off in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, they, the, the focus becomes more on the kind of, I don't know, humorous, uh, not humorous, humorous, probably not the right word, but kind of creative kills. Yeah, and you and, and you actually see like some of those they're more implied. Like they use you know what Jason's doing to the person. You hear the sound effects, but you're not necessarily seeing the gore like you did in this movie. Um, and on top of that, like the movies, they they get gimmicky. Like each movie has a like a, a gimmick that they're selling it with. Uh, right. And they did that for three, and they did it for this one, but they would really max it out. Uh, going forward and not to say it doesn't always work but it's um you know there's a there's something you that can help sell it it's the you know jason versus carrie or it's jason goes to manhattan um but uh you know there's always something to sell it with yeah uh can i just pause and can i just pause and say i can't believe silent night deadly night was a theatrical release by the way I saw that on a VHS. Oh, yeah. I thought it was like some trash B movie. <laughs> no, I mean, back then in the early 80s, like all those horror movies, no matter the quality, like they were getting theatrical releases. Maybe not as big as Friday the 13th, but they yeah. were out there. Yikes. I don't think it had, sorry, just to, I don't think it stayed in the theater for very long, though, because of the issues that were popping okay. up. Okay. Yeah, well, and. And in England, they actually like made a, a bigger like yeah, they, like, yeah they it was banned. It. They banned seventy films or something like that. Holy it was, cow. They, they had a whole code made from it. Wow! So. Oh my lord! Um, should we talk a little box office? Sure. See how the movie uh, did. Yes. So uh, Zito and the boys uh, raced and got the movie cut together and made that April thirteenth, nineteen eighty four release. Uh, the movie had a $2.6 million budget. Uh, opening weekend comes in at number one uh, with $11.2 million for that weekend. Uh, up against, uh, it, it dethroned Police Academy and uh, uh, was up against Swing Shift and Iceman. Not the Marvel <laughs> character, David. Oh, okay. I'd go see that <laughs> if it was. Iceman. That's the one about the, the, the caveman trapped in ice? Is yeah. That right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it ends up with a total uh, run of thirty-two point nine million. So that's a nice. pretty huge uh, gain for the move for the for the Paramount. Yeah, because oh, yeah. um, you said you said it was made for what, like two, two point something like two. Two point six. Two point six. Yeah. Um, the uh, it's currently sitting at, and that, this includes the newer uh, Friday the Thirteenth movie. Um, it currently sits at number five of the franchise. Uh, it's wedged between part three and part five. 
But um, that does include the, what, the 2010 Friday the 13th uh, movie. So, um, yeah, so it does, it's definitely in the top, uh, top zone of, uh, of the Friday films. It ends up number 27 of 1984 between The Killing Fields and The Gods Must Be Crazy, part one. Um, so, yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, overall, that's, that's a huge hit. That's a big moneymaker for Paramount. And, you know, they look at it. They look at making these movies as a way to uh, make their bottom line look better. So, um, you know, do they do they push these movies like they would push a Top Gun a few years later? Of course not. But uh, they, you know, it's all part of the numbers. Well, right. And if you're going to, yeah, if (laughs) you're not going to leave money on the table. So. Right. You know, as soon as as soon as they got the the receipts back for this one, they were like, you know what? Maybe it shouldn't be the final. Let's start another one. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. The new yeah. beginning. The new beginning. Which is a great title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the final chapter right into the new beginning. Yep. Um, but yeah, and and you know, greed sort of got the better of them because, and we'll cover it more specifically with each of those films, but. You know, this would would begin the downhill slide. I mean, the rest of the films would not be the uh, financial hits that these first ones were. Um, you know, they they should have trusted. Maybe they should have trusted their instincts, and that the the genre was tired and it was, you know, uh, overdone by then. Especially as you get towards the late '80s and. Uh, you know, you get into real creative problems on uh, on part eight. Jason goes to Manhattan. Uh, Jason takes Manhattan. Hmm. Well, and I think audiences felt duped, right? They were like, "You said it was the final chapter. What are you talking about?" Yeah, you know, I kind of compare it to the dream season in Dallas. That uh, when you come out of that and you tell everyone to forget what you just saw, uh, yeah. you know, audiences don't don't usually accept that. Yeah, it's hard to trust after that. Yeah, and then uh, part five obviously has a uh, there's a twist to that one which we'll cover uh, next year when we come back for for the next Friday the Thirteenth. Let's get into that one. Well, I think it's I think it's August or July. Like I think it's somewhere in the summer. So David, you got a little time away from the horror stuff and and uh, Friday the Thirteenth, but uh, it just should just be time you're studying up on it. The longer I can. Sorry. The longer I can go without seeing part five again, the better. So I can't wait. Let's go for it. Um, Overall. I know how how much you loved it from, (laughs) from uh, our, our, our viewing, our night, our viewing night. Yeah. We got to give that viewing night a a name, but there, there is some great quality death scenes in five. I think that's what it has going for it, but there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's other stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Jack Burton's. What do we think, uh, Brent? How many Jack Burton's? That's our scale from zero to thirteen. Thirteen being the best. Uh, where do you? Where does Friday the Thirteenth final chapter fall for you? Okay, I need some I need a point of clarification on this. So, with the rankings, mm-hmm. am I? Is this against all movies ever, or are we talking about just in the Friday the Thirteenth? world 
Let's say amongst the Friday the 13th, oh. okay, how many Jack Burtons would you give it? Makes it very easy. I give this a 13. <laughs> All right. Jesus nice. Christ. Oh, my God. All right. Well, come on. It's Friday well, the it's 13th. What about... you got to give it a 13. Okay, now compare it to... All right, no, wait, but give me the rating against all movies. Where do you put it? Against all movies? Okay, so yeah. that's... That's definitely that's I'm gonna rate. different. Um, I mean, against all movies, yeah, With, I'm going to give this... But your prefer- it's your preference, your rating, not, not you being the arbiter of these things. It's your enjoyment factors into it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's more like a 7-7. Seven, seven. Mm. Wow, okay. Huh. Yeah. What about you, David? It's like a 5.5. Five, 5.5. Easy. Down there. For for all movies? For Yeah, just my level of, of rating this thing is like, uh, you know, against everything else we've talked about. 5, 5.5. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh... I would uh, well, well. What about uh, amongst just the Friday films? Uh, d- 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 like an eight. <laughs> okay. Because there's no Friday film that's going to hit thirteen for me. So just, just you know, I'm going to uh, concur with with Brent exactly. Uh, this would be you know this is the formula. This is the model uh, that all the rest would try to follow. The, so this gets a 13 amongst the Friday films. And yeah, I'm going to give it a seven also for, uh, you know, in general. I, I just, I mean, this is, uh, I have fun with these movies. I, and this one, you know, I like the characters. I think the deaths were creative. Um, and, and because it was Tom Savini, you know, you, you get that extra special quality there. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy the movie. I really, I Good. really dig this one. And uh, yeah, big fan, big fan. Good. And uh, I always lovely to see uh, Kimberly back, uh, back on the screen. So, sure, yeah, she's um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Good job. We yeah. Got through another one. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yes. Always you fun looking back at the, the Fridays. Whole time. <laughs> I'm, I'm David. How are you I'm guys little... generally putting these at like sevens, though? That's crazy to me. I feel like you would have ranged them just higher, like you know, at like a an, at least an eight or a nine. If in talking in general, that's kind of weird to me. As much you're putting effusive praise on these films, but you're like, eh, well, they're like I mean, middle, they're middle of the road kind of enjoyment kind of films, like. Well, when you compare them to all, you know, all films, I think uh, there's, you know, there are other horror movies that are are better. Like you're going to put Halloween and The Thing higher than that. And, you know, there are ones that are that are have comedy elements like we talked about with Night of the Creeps uh, and your Evil Dead 2s, which I would rank higher than this because it's a different layer of kind of fun you can have with it. So I don't know. That's why I I pull this one back a little bit. Gotcha. I think okay. rating I think rating movies is a very complicated thing, you know? Like it does where does this compare against some of my, like my favorite movies of all time? Like it's mm-hmm. it's not, you know, like it doesn't in that in that way, but um, mm-hmm. do I enjoy it? Absolutely. Do I think that it's from the Friday the 13th franchise one of the better of of the films? 100%. But yeah, like yeah. it when you when you open up the whole world of of films that's been 
given to us like i you know like i think seven seven is a good spot to be that's pretty high i think actually considering you know what this movie is so Got it. i'm uh okay i'm happy i'm happy with it that makes sense no i get it i just thought that i thought somehow they'd be higher but i get it your explanations make make it make sense yeah for sure Show. So, David, in our last uh, our last three episodes, we've covered a Nightmare on Elm Street, a Halloween, and a Friday the Thirteenth. You just you're done. This we got to move on. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, this has been great. Some... <laughs> been fun. Um, well, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up around the corner, so uh, you know we got a few weeks till we get there. But uh, let's see what we can come up with for our our next episode. I think we're going to do... I'm thinking something very, very much the opposite of yeah. Friday the 13th. Okay. Just for you. So. Something lighthearted. Yeah. Something, yeah. Something good. Let's, let's have a good one. Yeah. Something good. <laughs> something good. Um, but, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we want to say a quick thank you to our friends who help us out every week. Uh, E.K. Wimmer, thank you for the theme song. And don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Um, so many fun episodes on that show looking back at horror specifically horror stuff from the 80s um, that's a good time and uh, thank you to Curtis Moore for the poster as usual uh, always always fun with that one as well and uh, guys I think uh, I think it's time to, to wrap it up I think uh, you know if anyone wants to check us out on social media too. Uh, you can find us at Reconsideration Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can always find our archives at www.reconsideration.com. And anywhere where, where you listen to podcasts, don't forget to try and give us a rating and a review. It helps uh, boost the show, uh, the show's visibility. So we always appreciate that. And we appreciate the comments we've been getting on Instagram and, and Twitter. And uh, we always love your feedback. And uh, we've been getting some good notes from some of the listeners so that's, that's highly appreciated so thank you absolutely yeah, always great always great to hear from you guys uh well i think um you know i'm gonna i've got the lake house i'm gonna head up there for the weekend i've got some you know old pals uh some some high school friends that uh, we're gonna meet up with so i'm gonna head out of the studio and Hopefully, I'm sure everything's going to be fine up there. Should Johnny, so, uh, Johnny, should... where's the where's the where's the corkscrew? You know the cor- Johnny, where's the corkscrew? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we uh, thank you for listening. We are out of here, and we will see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now.